I wanted to kill myself. I was that upset in life. One day I see you guys on Instagram. I applied. I'm here. I'm so active. I don't take my medication anymore. What else I could do in my life that someone sits in front of me and say, you saved my life. That's a very high benefit Apply Board has. I need some traction. You need some traction. Let's get some traction. Hey, what's up, innovators, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and disruptors? This is your Traction Podcast host, Lloyd Lobo. We're a community of over 100,000 people, just like yourself, on a mission to help you get the methods, the money, and the madness to explode your business growth. Featuring stories and tactical advice straight from those who've done it before, like Shopify, Twilio, Asana, and many more. This episode is brought to you by Boast.ai. Each year, the U.S. and Canadian governments give out billions of dollars in R&D tax credits and innovation incentives to fund businesses like yours. But the application process is cumbersome, prone to frustrating audits, and receiving the money can take up to 16 months. Boast.ai gets you access to research and development tax credits and innovation funding opportunities without the headache and red tape. Join thousands of North American companies leveraging Boast AI software to maximize cashback. Check out boast.ai. This episode is also brought to you by Launch Academy, an international tech hub that provides mentorship, resources, network, and the environment for entrepreneurs to launch, fund, and grow their startups. Since 2012, Launch Academy has incubated over 6,000 entrepreneurs, of which 300 have grown their startups past seed and series A and have collectively raised over a $1.2 billion in funding. To learn more about Launch Academy's programs, check out launchacademy.ca. I'm super excited here today. Fantastic entrepreneur, Martin Basiri is the CEO and co-founder of ApplyBoard, the world's largest online platform for international student recruitment. They've grown super fast to over 500 employees in 20 plus countries, assisting more than 80,000 students with their educational journey. And they've had this really hyper growth trajectory here, raising multiple rounds of funding in the last year during a pandemic, valuing the company at 1.4 billion. 2019, you were named one of the fastest growing technology companies, ranking number one on the fast 50 list. I reached out to Martin for advice because he knew one of our lead investor who had just joined the fund. And Martin was very gracious with his time. And he gave me the ins and outs of how you pick a VC partner. And if you're asking about this guy, take the money. We'll spend five minutes talking about that. And the rest, we can shoot the shit. So he's been very gracious. And and that shows, right? If you help enough people get what they want, you'll get everything you want. And he's not only a great entrepreneur, but a great human being. Thank you for joining us, Martin. How, How are you today? How is 2021 treating you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me here. 2021, so far, so good. A bit cold, but you know what? Like, we like it here. <laughs> Definitely. And, and before we jump into things, introduce us to ApplyBoard. You've effectively pioneered a whole new industry. I didn't even think about this space, really. And it's been super successful. Give us the, the backstory. What made you start the company? What else did you consider before you, before you landed on this? Give us the intro. Yeah, for sure. So first, first of all, I tell you why we're doing it. We are doing it to democratize access to education. Because let me tell you like the magnitude of the problem. So in today's world, one out of 15 people should be in a higher education at any time. And that is giving us something around 50% of adults going to universities. Even for us to achieve 50%, which for example, for Canada is 54%, uh, we need to have in the world of 7.5 billion people, we should have about 500 million people studying in higher education. The real number right now is 160. 
And in 160, you could see 50% in, in countries like US, Canada, uh, Australia, all Western countries. And then you go to the other countries, you start seeing percentage like 10%, 20%. It's incredible. 340 million people, they cannot be in a school. We are talking about every single one day, every single day, 1 million people need to go to school that they're not going. We are talking about 10 times the population of Canada. These are the people that they need to be in a school and they're not. And we are basically trying to solve this problem. So every kid around the world, they could have access to a good higher education. But how did we land on this? I'm from Iran. So do a lot of Iranians. We have pretty good bachelor degree if you are very hard a studier. So if you are like top one, 2001 or 2000 of half a million people, you can go to what you want to study. Otherwise, really ruined uh, your life. So I got lucky on my bachelor. I did study well, and I also had some points. But when it comes for my master's, only 4% of people can go to a good grad school. And in a country like Iran, education is a must. It's not like you get your bachelor's degree and you could still have some level of good life. For that, I had a lot of inventions and stuff. So I applied for University of Waterloo. I get accepted. I came to Canada from Pearson. I was going to north of Toronto, where my uncle lived. And on the airport, I was like, this is life. I love it. I just, I was feeling positivity from day one. I landed to Canada. So I started planning of bringing my brothers. And so this process of going abroad is so hard. I've redone it for both of my brothers. And they came at the age of 18, which was like a shocking for Iranians. And so a lot of people start messaging us. Can you also help me? Can you also help me? So we helped them. And then we are not doing it anymore. A couple of years later, now I finished Universal Waterloo. I got my master's of engineering. I'm in the US. I'm working. I was like, I want to get back to entrepreneurship and stuff because I used to do those things back home in Iran. And I quitted my job. I didn't have any idea. So I said, let me go back to do helping other students to make some money. And the first students I helped called my brothers and said, I think we should automate this. And that's how Applyboard started. And the first one or two years, we were just doing business like everyone else, just trying to solve a problem. And after that, when the students started coming to to Canada and US with the help that we were doing. And I started talking to those people. I started feeling in love. I stopped feeling in love how much we changed their life. And then our trajectory changed from running a business to running an art, to having fun every day, having an impact on hundreds of people on a daily basis, changing their life. And every day it goes, I, I fell in love with Apply Board more and more, and I get more positive energy about what it does to the level that I say, even if one day everything is stopped, the whole thing vanishes, then what happens, I don't mind at all because during this journey, I help thousands and ten thousands of like people, me and my team. And I think that's enough pride for the rest of my life. That is a fantastic story, fantastic journey. So what did your early customer development look like? You said, I'm going to automate this process. You've helped thousands of people, but who are like your first 10, 20 people to go through this process? Because it's like marketplace in a way, there's multiple people involved. So for, we didn't know what to do. So we started from the student side. I remember I, I was going to one of the university's library in the morning all the way to like night till they were kicking me out. And I was on the phone in one of those study rooms, lock myself on the phone, talk to hundreds of people from Afghanistan all the way to Chile and Argentina, trying to convince them for our service. This is before we even have a product or something. I got a sense of what is a problem. We were chasing a different problem, but at the start, we were thinking it's a product that students pay for the service. And then we figure it out. It's a product for the students, but a school's willing to buy it because they want also to get the students and we recognize the other side. If I want to say one answer, I would say hustle. We just hustled our way up. We work 
double everyone else and we called four times everyone else we got a lot of rejection and we say okay it's okay so we kept continuing and doing it early days was so tough because first of all everyone was laughing at us for what we are doing and it wasn't something that resonated especially for the investors in north america because a lot of investors they go to stanford and harvard and yale and those and they were like why someone from bangladesh for example sell their apartment and their parents retirement to come to go for example to a college in canada they were not it was not connecting hey because there's no university for that person back home and they were like why don't they come to stanford you're talking about 340 million people Stanford is taking like maybe like 30 uh, undergrad international per, per year you're talking about 300 million so it was not resonating so it was very tough from 2015 April or May when we started till March 2018 it was only hardship like the I, I, like three years we went to the hardest time of our lives we were almost like bankrupt everything was bad because the results were also not coming we were trying different things the sort of drunken founder journey the three years are almost there and they're not quite there and it, and it's hard but during that time did you think maybe that or looking back maybe i would have started on the other side of the marketplace and not with the students first or you think this going after the students first and creating the demand was a good move we basically had to go through multiple customers their students their counselors and the universities at the same time okay. so it wasn't ever so at some point a student we had more students than or more recruiter than the university and then it flipped no i don't have a regret i think we done it very naturally yeah. we didn't have a kpi of saying this has to be there and we were like okay we just like answer the customers and we go with the flow sometimes that we had too much of supply low demand or vice versa it it balanced each other so i know i have no regret if i go back probably i would do it fluid as we've done it the first time that's fantastic and you talk a lot about fluidity but and we'll we'll dive into it but what happened in march 2018 like how did you say like i got product market fit or this is it let's explode from here the january semester of 2018 every year is three semester we had equal to the entire history of applied board to that point number of students who showed up by a factor of 2 so in one month we've done more than last three years multiplied by 2 then i went and i started fundraising and we got from raising 50k to 50k in the last three years we raised and uh, we raised um I think 11 million USD or something series A and from that time we started thinking long term now we were not worry about if the next quarter we could afford people or not we started hiring people we started doing um but if i go back i'm not going to change that three years i think the first three years of hustle and sweat and sleeping on the couch and not having home or money or anything it just built the taste of success further on for people it just made it more tasteful you know what i'm saying i don't want to go back i'm happy that we didn't get funded for the first couple of years and it was so hard because now i enjoyed more if it was easy maybe i wouldn't not enjoyed as much as more as right now it was so hard and i'm happy about it that it was hard definitely and pain is the precondition for growth right if you look at the last recession there airbnb uber and stuff came out of it but there's another lesson here is it forces you to be frugal and think creatively when you have no money when you start a company from day one with other people's money you're just running an experiment and you're like ah if it fails it fails whatever like some you some people can get that mentality and and sometimes more people die from indigestion than starvation and this like really helps you become resilient. You talked a lot about fluidity and I had this question on milestones. What is your next big milestone or was there ever a time in your journey where you had a no go no go or go no go time frame? And then you talked about I like to be like water and make it fluid and every day must be better than the next day. Walk us through that mindset. Guys, like remember, I I was Iranian even for example till end of 2016 my brothers were still on visa and their visa was expiring so we didn't even have a permanent residency 
So people like I was going to people and Peach, and they were like like Peach for money, and this is like a year and a half into it, and people are like, buddy, in nine months you have to leave the country. You are asking me to give money to you, and I my accent was thicker. So there are a lot of reason for people not to fund us, and a lot of uncertainty. In we were just thinking, you know what? It doesn't matter. Even the, if if we only have nine months to stay here, let's to the last day hustle, and then if it doesn't come back, it come. But uh, finally, our uh, immigration from the Canada side got solved. I'm saying it in a positive way, but there isn't. There's a dark side about it too. So it was some bias about the whole immigration. And this is think about it. This is 2016, where especially in the U.S. the the thing changed. So there were a lot of bias. Why do we need more immigrants, especially earlier on of the last administration in the U.S.? It was a lot of like things about against Iranian because when Trump came, it was a lot of like Iran was in the news every day. So people were like, "Where are you from?" I was like, "I'm from Iran," and like. A third of the whole VC time was going to gone talking about politics. I do think this guy's saying right or that guy's. So I had a lot of like big disadvantages in my life. It was like also same. We grow up in a lower middle class family with no money, and we had to like doing it. And that's where the fluidity come from. Fluidity is you control what you have in your hand to control, and you believe in luck and. I don't call it destiny and a lot of positive energy coming back from the world. I had one mentor was saying good things happen to good companies. That's why I don't put like very rigid uh, milestones of oh by first year for example by end of three years we should be there. I'm more about hey if we solve the problem and if the basics are good and if the culture is good if the company have the cash if we build the right company and we are solving a real problem and we are getting. Customer satisfaction result comes after that, and instead of being the focus on the company that hey we are result oriented, don't take me wrong. We we also have goals. We do the planning, but it's like more. Let's see what happens. Whatever happens, I I don't have control on the whole world and market. That's why like whenever something happens, I I try to hustle it up, and if it works, if not. You can have the big goals, but you got to try to do control what you can control and be a little better every day because it grows from there. How do you acquire customers today? I'm curious. What like channels are working? Is it word of mouth? Is it ads? Is it referrals? We don't do ads. Not a single dollar ad. That's amazing because ads can be yeah. a drug. <laughs> all, all from channel marketing, word of mouth, outbound, inbound, how email big marketing. Is, how big is your sales and marketing team? Today or yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's because say, when you were like introducing the company, it was you said like five hundred. We are like seven hundred fifty now. I was like, when did he talk to my team? And when you said like we help eighty thousand, I think the current number is like hundred forty thousand. Wow! So I believe something two hundred, two hundred fifty people. And then when you raise your first round, first eleven million or so, let's call it like a super seed round, <laughs> because you you had small amounts before that. Who are the first people you hire? How do you think about like how do I now unpack and scale this? Or maybe it feels like so far off that you can't even. I think remember. we hired like first we started hiring people as engineers because it was the first time we could <laughs> afford paying someone like a salary that they do to come back and slap us in the face on the <laughs> offer. A lot of like that frugality stick to us as like right now we are giving like very competitive, but somehow like people are still think. It is uh, that time because we really didn't have any money. We were, like we were living out of nothing. Just to tell you guys, when we got one three hundred million dollar acquisition offer in twenty eighteen ish, yes, in twenty eighteen, and by then I think three of us together was not even making eight thousand dollar before tax, not even after tax. Wow. So we are living on each other homes and. It was crazy. Like, like we were trying to really save every single dime for the company to be able to hire. But after the first fundraising, which was our Series A, hired engineers. I don't think we hired sales and marketing any particular path and strategies. Everything again was going naturally. We never pivoted or anything. It was always going naturally. 
So why didn't you sell the company? You got three broke <laughs> uh, brothers here, almost on the verge. You raised your Series A at 11. 300 million is a pretty big valuation. What yeah. stopped you from selling the company? Because this is important. I have a snapshot of my bank account that day. I had 1,408 Canadian dollar in my bank account. Out of that deal, I think I was, me, Media Massey, we were like walking out with 100 million USD cash plus another 100 uh, stock to stick around with the new company. So before that, I went to the other company before they come with a price. I looked at it and that company was a little thing. When I was walking around, I was like, it didn't feel right. I was like, because they wanted me to also be the CEO of the joint company. So now at Flavor, I think we are 80 people and the other company was like 500 people. So that was one thing. I came down to, we had a small room called India. This is our last office. I went and I remember Mehdi just came. Mehdi is my brother. So Mehdi and Massey are twin brothers. We three of us started a company together. I went to Mehdi. He said, hey, this is their last offer stuff. And Mehdi traveled a lot because he'd run the sales and marketing. So he goes to different countries like before pandemic. And he was like, I bought this $5. My pants are $20. My shoes are like $40. Why do I need this money? That was it. In two hours, we get back to them and said, no. And Matthew was like, Matthew was angry at us that why are you guys even talking about this? How much of more features and things we have to build? We didn't do it. What if we like, we go, they don't allow us to build what we want to build. So that so was the, a conversation. So this is a very important lesson here, right? Uh, I guess in life and in business, uh, there's two things that are key that I'm hearing here. One is passion versus transaction. If you treat everything like a transaction, I need so much money to get to the next milestone or whatever, you may be enthusiastic about it and, and lose that enthusiasm. But if you're really super passionate about a problem, that transcends right companies and, and that you're on this mission and you're committed in the heart and the mind. And the other thing is relationships. So the good thing is you have three brothers here. So you guys are all aligned, hopefully. And, and relationships yeah. also transcends companies and ideas. So passion and relationship is the key lesson. I want to jump into... And fun. And fun. Yeah, of course. If you're miserable like doing Every it. day you wake up, think about it. Let's say you would have sold a company. What do you do for 100, with $100 million? Think about it. So you have to have a plan to spend it. And then you have to have a plan to invest it. We are not a spender type of guys that like go, I said, hey, we would have go buy a big mansion in Florida and have yacht. That's not my type. So then it would have been investing. What type of company invest? Like I like apply words, it's going well. So let's invest in that one. And by the way, I'm in control myself. So I think the real question is the fun part. If you are having fun, what you do, even though it's the hardest thing, then you say, okay, so if I'm selling it, I'm not going to have this much fun. So why shall I sell it? It's fun. Like I'm doing something that I like in my life. I always think about the word of when I'm 90 years old and I have all my grandkids and grandkids around me and I'm telling them my life story. Am I smiling that day? Am I proud for what I've done in my life? Or... I'm just talking about, oh, yeah, I got rich. So what? Probably like my grandkids don't even care about it. So I want to tell them a story that I feel proud of that. So when I'm dying, I just die with a smile, you know? When I have every day of my life, I have a smile on it, even if it's the hardest day. And that's why every time I've seen you, you're always smiling. I want to take one audience question here. Um, what makes your company unique in the tech education sector? You have a huge, you could like literally dominate this industry that, that you're pioneering here, right? There's lots of opportunities, but what makes yeah. you unique in this sector that you're growing like weeds? What makes Applyboard unique is every single one in the company is progressive. So our sales team innovate. Our engineering team innovate. Our administration team innovate. Everyone thinking outside of the box. And I didn't realize how much it is till now that I start seeing from every point of the company, innovation is coming. I think that's the number one. And I think the other thing is people are very connected with the mission. Like 
they also start, you remember, I told you I started this as a business and as a startup. And then I start seeing the students come and I was like, oh my God, I really changed this guy's life. Like, I had one student come to, to a company. He took bus six hours to get to where we are. He came and said, you guys saved my life. So what do you mean? Like they helped you to come. It was like, you don't know. I wanted to kill myself. I was that upset in life. No hope, nothing. One day I see you guys on Instagram. I applied. I'm here. I'm so active. I don't take my medication anymore. I'm going to gym. I'm, I already secured an internship. Like, I'm, you guys saved my life. And think about it. Like, what else I could do in my life that someone sits in front of me and say, you saved my life. So I think that's a very high benefit Applyboard has. And I always like challenge people, like anyone in your list, if you ask them, why are you here? I can guarantee that everyone like giving you the same answer of we are here to make this possible, to help these 340 million people that they're not in a school. So they can also go to school. How good of the world is if everyone gets educated, how much of racism go down, how much of work can collaborate more, how many more engineers we need in this world, how much of technology would advance if for every student we have in a school, now you make it three times. means three times more engineers, three times more as scientists, three times more people that know about the world and everything else. World going to be so beautiful. Future going to be so bright. I, I think... That's the thing about unique about Apply Board. What doesn't connect with a lot of people probably living in North America is I'm an immigrant myself. I was a refugee of the Gulf War. Then we moved to Canada. My parents are from India. They were working in, in Kuwait at the time. In countries outside of North America, education is the highest bar, right? Like you, you get your grades. Can you get into engineering or become a doctor? Can you do your master's kind of thing? And it's very hard to get opportunities especially in like Asia and the Middle East, particularly India and Middle East, is if you don't have a certain bar of education. So it, it, makes, it, it makes it quite hard. And, and so I, I completely connect with this because I, I almost dropped out of high school. And <laughs> so, so I know it's like, you're not going to get a job and everyone's gossiping about you. And it's not just you, but it's the community around that makes it miserable for you. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm a failure. And so I can completely connect. But beyond this, I think it's, it shares, uh, you provide a great lesson here on people and culture is that the most important thing is not the money, it's to have a mission and to have passion for that mission. Because if the founders and all the leaders are passionate for that mission, it will go in through all the employees and the people that you hire and everyone is bought into that mission. And you got to reiterate that over and over. And so that's a fantastic lesson. Yeah, I want to go into some fundraise. How long of a runway until revenue will start to match valuation? Like, how do you think about that? What is called a value of a company is a value of a company, not the revenue of the company. So revenue, valuation, I know investors try to match these two other formula, like it used to be 10x of ARR or 40x of ARR. But over time, it's sure what makes a good company is what makes a huge valuation. But a good company solving a big problem, a good company doing innovation while solving a very big problem. A big company gonna have access a lot of data. A good company do things in other way. A good company learn where they are to unlock the access to the human being. Focus on that part, not the revenue part, because if it is a good company, one of the characteristics of it is it also create a very good revenue. It also create a very good growth rate. Still, the fundamental of a good business didn't change since 18th centuries. A good business is where it solves a real problem and it, customers love that solution and the why is there and they can attract the right people. If all these elements is there, anytime the revenue shaft is open, it comes. So that's how I would approach what is the valuation thing. And valuation is not really something. It's not a goal or something. For example, me for our funding, 
I had to bring our valuation because of the pandemic down like $900 million. And I don't even regret it for a second because valuation is just like what market pay at that time depends. What matters is the money that you get on that valuation. How are you going to utilize it to make your good company a better company, to make, to get, make your great company a fantastic company, to get your fantastic company to an excellent company, to make your excellent company to a fabulous com- company? That's what matters. Since we started with valuations uh, here, let's, let's go right into fundraising during a pandemic. You mentioned that you had some great investors who you needed to close your Series C and you emailed them or contacted them on a Sunday night or Saturday night and they wired you the money on the Monday. So let's start here. How did you decide when the right time is to raise and how did you build relations and pick the right investors for you? Because picking the right investors is key. And this is something you gave me advice on before we took the money from Radiant Capital and Chris, and he spoke very highly of him, which is one of the key factors on on why we went that direction. So how do you, I think no one knows better than you suffering for three years. And now saying that I have investors who I contact on a Saturday night or Sunday night, and they borrow money even to put money in our company by Monday. How did you decide when to raise and how do you find the right investors? 2016, you remember I said, if you're almost at the edge of bankruptcy, we had to let a couple of people go. And our team was like 16 people and we came down to 11 or something like that. I think six people we let go. Till day, that was the, one of the hardest days in my career. That because of the lack of cash, I had to let good people go. And... It has stuck with me. And actually, back to the last question, I always want to have years of runway in, in my bank account because cash brings stability. And that's what happened during the pandemic. Before the pandemic, we had a term sheet at $2.2 billion signed term sheet. And then we got another term sheet at uh, $1.8 billion. And then pandemic happened. Investors start their, their interest, they go. And I was like, who cares? I already signed term shit. And the guy that did up to 2.2 billion valuation, he called and said, our LPs or whatever, hey, I, I can't, sorry, man. Bang, phone drop. And I looked at it. I was like, what if this is at, like a 2008? Like if pandemic goes and borders get closed, and this is before March 16, that actually government went ahead and closed the borders of businesses to bring students internationally. What's going to happen? This, this is I'm not going to lay off people because we don't have money or something. And remember, even within that time, I had all the money that we raised for Series B is still in the bank. So we still had two years of run rate, but it meant we couldn't grow. So... I went back to investors and I reduced the valuation. I said, hey, instead of this is the amount that is on term sheet, if I bring it lower, uh, what is the lowest I can go? He said this. I said, what is that valuation? We agreed on the valuation. We shook hand. It was Thursday afternoon. And he said, look, I have a Monday morning call with the partners. I have to deliver them the news that you cannot raise the total. So, uh, and I'm going to tell them that the adjusted valuation. So I remember he told me, hustle up till Monday. Tell me if you got this amount of dollar or not. He was putting 70 something percent. So I had another 20 something percent to raise from Thursday afternoon till basically his Monday morning. Before pandemic, I was asking people to invest $100 million in our company. So I was going for a $100 million check. And at that point, I started calling people for a $100,000 check. And one of our investors, Chris, that I introduced you, he personally also invested like more money because he used to invest from another fund. And this is what happened. Like I called even people for 50K. I think... Saturday night or something, Saturday evening or something, I got the money. And then you realize what means okay investors. I had investors that we made them over 100 times. And I messaged them and said, sorry, I cannot help you. 
I had investors that more than what they invested, they said, don't worry about it. We, we get the money for you. I had one of my investors that from China, he didn't have money in Canada. He borrowed money to invest in our company so we can close our round. I had investors that, you know, because they knew something's happening. They decided not to like react on it. And then two months later, they come said, hey, I'm sorry, can I do my prorated parada right now? And you're like, seriously? But the, the good thing is I got mostly support from my current investors and the whole money that 25% left, my current investors, majority of it they put in. And they, I would say like they helped the, the round to close. And I'm so proud of that because I went from here to the bottom and I got to the point that I was like literally to the edge of cry because I was keep remembering 2016. I was like, how do I go in front of my employees and say, and now I need to like lay you guys off. So I'm not going to do that. And I think we hot sold it up. We got great support from our investors. They put the money and now probably is three or four times their money they made since last March that they put money in. And yeah, that's a story. I, it was hard, man. It was hard when I was thinking about, when I was thinking about, I, I, at that time I was like, why don't I have personal money? I should have be able to put the money in the company to, to bail it out. I didn't have. And that was one of my mistakes that maybe previously I never took any money off the table, major thing that I can't save the company in a day like this. I was like, I have nothing. Like I had some money. I, I like I, it was in my mortgage. I was calling my bank on Friday. Hey, how much can you refinance? Like, Even if you do, it has to be new appraisal. We're not going to be able to give you. So I have nothing. I have a company, billion dollar company. It might go to it go to negativity of layoff and then decline versus this is the urge. Now everyone got hurt. I need to double up the team. I need to do a strong. And when we got the money, we turned the shaft to the positivity. We went to everyone said, not only are you not going to lay, lay off, we're going to go strong. And I think we hired half of the team since the day pandemic happened. And wow. we get from 300 something to 750 now. That's amazing. So I want to get into the team side of things here because this ties right in. What is the key lesson here? Because young founder, I would say first time founder, first time raising, and then you, you hit this tough situation and there's a few that stick with you. Looking back, what are some key traits or signals that projects what a good investor would be? Every, every time I start with why, and I start with what it, it is, and in their eyes, I can see if this guy connect or not. And when they don't connect, I'm like, ah, you are bottom of the list. I still go to you if I really need the money and I need to survive. But I rather go with the people that when you tell them, said, do you understand if for every single graduate, we have another two graduate, how beautiful the world would be? They're thinking about this said, yeah, I want to bet on that future. I want to make that thing to happen. I want to make world a better place. I want to be part of this journey. And those people just give me energy. A good investor is an investor that when you're down, they behind you say, no, Martin, you could do it. Or like, Lloyd, you could do it. Don't give up. But think about it. Like, for example, we as founders have one of the hardest jobs in our company. Everyone, not even my company, I'm saying in any company, everyone looking for recognition and recognition should always come from top to down. That's like normal. But rarely someone comes and says, hey, Lloyd, I want to appreciate you for being a good like a founder or something. And you're looking that. But when you go to your investors, they're looking at a strong, suited, tie always, like type of professional CEOs that things are like stable. But we are humans too, man. Like we are like in our 30s or 20s and doing something. Like rarely happened that someone pick up a phone and said, hey, I just want to tell you, how happy I am. They tell you like how happy I am, like invested or something. But sometimes like on, on your execution, some, it's it, it sometimes like, it, it makes the job of the founders lonely 
So when I see some someone who connects with the founders in the personal level, and they're like, "Man, this is your journey. I want to be part of the journey. I want to be. I, I want to be. I want to do something." These are the people that when you're down and you feel bad about yourself or you're doubtful or something doesn't go wrong, you can call and just say. I think I have a very big problem and I don't know the solution. And you are not worried at that time they're going to judge you or they're going to bring like bored. They're trying to just help you as a partner. Those are the good investors. People who you connect with them personally. That's my big things. I never went after the brand. I never like cared about oh this is XYZ this is blah blah. Look at my VC list. Artiman Ventures, Antos. Now Antos are like pretty famous. Like maybe the last round drive and index, they're very like well branded, but it, it happened because I connected with them, not because I wanted to to go after X Y Z brand. Don't take me wrong, I went to those brands too. Like a lot of them rejected us, but it wasn't ever a motivation of us that I need, for example, X V C to be our thing. I want to work. This is my life. I want to have fun. I want to like someone that I can call and text. And do good, and they understand when I'm busy. And that was a very good piece of advice when we spoke late last year, as we were deciding, because that brand thing. When you, I live in San Francisco, for example. When you're still in the Silicon Valley, you're stuck in this bubble of big names and whatnot. And and what really matters is, do you connect, and are they passionate about it? Because throughout this conversation, the the theme here, even here, is passion trumps transaction. Passion transcends. Relationship transcends, and I know as founders, it's lonely, and mental health is really important. So you want to be able to connect with people. And Chris, a while ago, type that would back you and Lloyd every day of the week, humbled to be included. So those kinds of things are are fantastic to hear here. Going into people, right? You went from three people to eighty people to three hundred, and then now seven fifty, and growing by the minute. Did you? Have some sort of scaling formula, like after X people, maybe we'll move to a WeWork, then we'll buy an office. So, like, how did you come up with this level of scale? Is there some sort of formula? I, I don't think there is a certain formula. You have to believe in your people. Guys, I'm not hiring 700 people. My people hire the next level of people. You have to trust them. Of course, you, you like you. You got to be very good in. You know, I'm like. The main thing, like the main KPIs of the business, the main customer feedbacks, and those things I all on daily basis I check. I talk to people. I talk about challenges, but the rest of it you let the people go. The problem that Applyboard had from 2017 till now, we always had more customers than we could like serve. A lot of companies. So this formula works for us is like always like chase the problem solving thing. Some people have a different problem. They have the product, they have the service, but they don't have enough customers. So my advice for them might not be as good because for us, it was like, we always had customers. We knew what we have to do. It wasn't very hard to figure it out. Like the biggest problem is like how to make all of them happy to address their issues on time, to do the tickets on time and everything else. So I, I, I don't know. The formula for growth is... Be a good person. Hire good people, bring the next good people, and good people bring the next good people. And what happened when a company is that positivity? Even when negative people come in, they themselves push themselves out. Like you become such a positive things that everyone come and they want to be negative and they want to be things they can't because everyone around them are so positive so the company push it out and you don't have to like do everything with a formula or something and then more more like immigrants and females and those things comes look at like our diversity 56% female and gender variant 60% immigrants right uh, 65% speaking another language Think about it. How on earth we have people from 40 countries? How you could put people in 40 countries and there is no culture clash stuff? The only the only thing that is between cultures are saying is goodness, right? Being authentic about what you do. Go to people, explain. If you made a mistake, go say, "Hey guys, I screwed it up. I'm 30 year, I'm 32 years old. I don't have all the answers in the world," and make the company a positive. 
and it's it gonna take care of itself. Sometimes negativity happens and it's normal. Sometimes you make mistake, you go and say, I apologize. Sometimes you do something good and they don't understand it. So you try to explain it. And sometimes there is something happen. You say, I'm not going to focus on this because this is negativity. I have a better thing to address. So it's a lot about communication and it's positivity. Basically, what I'm hearing is hire smart people that are positive, that are passionate, bought into your mission and get out of their way and they will bring the right people. So give them the vision and the mission and the metrics and they will figure it out. Give them the autonomy to execute is what I'm hearing here. Because uh, yeah. now, now at 750 people, it's hard. At 750 people, what goals should CEOs set for themselves? How do you define success? What KPIs are you on top of? It's a complex because from one side, you have some, how many students, for example, you want to help? What are the geographies you want to be in place? How much of a human touch point you want to have in your product and how much automation you want to have? So we have those KPIs, but... Look at COVID. Our industry came down 77% and we've grown on that same industry. Um, So those numbers at the end of the story really doesn't matter. Let me answer you by this one. There is a book by Bill Walsh called The Scores Take Care of Itself. If you read that book, it changed the whole methodology of like how you build a business. And the whole thing is you put the right process, you put the right people, you do something good, then the result come, don't worry about it. And that's how we like running it. Like again, be fluid, do the good thing and whatever happened, you don't have control in every single situation. At the end of the story, my biggest <laughs> advice to whoever want to start a company or work in a startup, realize that people are people, they make mistakes, things doesn't go well sometimes. And that's the opportunity of working in a startup or do a company because you can learn way more when things are unstable, when things are exploding, when things doesn't have process. That's the opportunity of learning. And when it comes back to people, bring people who are positive, who align with your core values, who align with your mission, and who want to do something differently, who want to have impact in their life who are not just chasing you because now you give the best stock option and your stock is the next big thing, right? Who chase you because they really believe this world should have something like this. One thing uh, is key here because you've built a massive team. You're at the top now, 750 people. And you talked a lot about passion, mission, motivation, hiring great people. Uh, And it's a hard thing to do for a lot of people. How do you make sure everyone on your team is well aligned with the broader company mission strategy and goals? Like how do you train an organization to make better decisions when you're not in the room? So from the first line of the job description, when they're reading to apply, you talk about your mission. The day that they come to your company, the first thing they see on the wall is talking about, for example, for us is education is a right, not a privilege. Our mission is to make education accessible for all students around the world. You say it so many times. And now I realize this after years of saying it is people who don't like this, after you tell them 300 times and they see it everywhere, they actually go away from it themselves naturally. So mission not only is a magnet to bring the people who really believe in this, also it has a defense mode for people who they don't care, they're racist or something. Like if you are racist and you come to apply board, doesn't matter how good your performance is, soon you're going to get pushed out. You can't, like you cannot be in a meeting that there is an Indian with accent, Iranian with accent, Arab person, like a Muslim, Sikh, Jewish. You're not going to be able to last that thing. Like one day you break down, said, this is not what I want. But if you are not racist, you will stay because you enjoy it. Now, this is a place that you could have your nationality and your accent and your religion and everything and be proud of who you are. So that's all uh, I wanted to say from that regard. Yeah, definitely. And what I see is that some of the greatest companies do that, right? They start with a mission. People are bought in. Uh, They're mission-driven companies. and, And now, yeah, they're making a lot of money. It doesn't seem that way. And a lot of us get caught up with the transaction of it is let's run this experiment and let's optimize that. And next week, we actually have Twilio CEO, Jeff Lawson. And the last time he spoke at our in-person conference, he said one thing really important here. He's like, 
when you look at things as a transaction and optimize an A-B test to the nth degree, every site becomes a porn site. <laughs> it's like focus on the customer you're serving and your mission and let that be your primary guide. And I'm hearing that as a common theme between some of the greatest uh, CEOs here. Martin, as you look back on your journey, some parting thoughts here, what do you wish you did more of and what do you wish you did less of? I'm very hard on myself. So maybe I would have been less hard on myself and maybe that part I would do more. Like be just keep telling myself, hey, don't worry, it would be fine and stuff. And I cannot change the history that I came from. I came from like bottom of the world. These movies, like there is a car running and people without without shoes, they're running after the car. <laughs> I, I came from something like that. So if I sometimes tell people, if this is a poverty line, we were here. And sometimes we were, we didn't want to go underneath. So we were pushing the line down. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that, like it's in my nature of always be hard on myself and try to be the best of the best. Maybe that's the only thing I, I would change. No, man, like I made so many mistakes. If I want to tell you one by one of them at the company that I made mistake, I've said things that I should have not said. I've done things that I should have not done. I started the bad cultures that I should have not done. But at the same time, I've said good things. I've said things. At the end of the story, if you want to count it, I, I don't know, call it 60-40, right? 60% yeah. good, 40% bad. So I go back, I said, don't worry about it. 60-40 is still acceptable. You know, you still pass. Don't worry about the result of it. Just do what, what your heart is telling you to do. Again, like I'm getting to that realization of saying, right now for me, this is not a company anymore. It's a movement. What's the most beautiful thing? I start seeing this like mock-ups that happening. Someone like with like a one-page website, they put it online. You know what I love about it? Every single one of them copy-paste our mission. And when you see the copycats start copy-pasting your mission, it gives you a heart, a good heart to say, Oh my God, if these guys are also believing in what I believe the world should be, we're going to be such a good place because now we started the movement. It's not a business anymore. And I believe Applyware already is a movement. Like we changed entirely our industry, how schools, we made a school so much more responsive because now there is a competition between them. We made the counselors way more respectful to the students. We brought the respect and the standard up in our industry, even financial or whatever happened to apply board, I'm proud of what we've done. We made board a better place. You know what? That is, that is probably the best parting thought we could get. If you're passionate about your mission and your whole company believes in it, your mission, and you can turn that mission into a movement, you'll, you'll not only be extremely happy and have a happy life, but you'll also build a massive company. Martin, thank you for being a friend. Thank you for all the advice. Thank you for joining us today. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for having me. I need some traction. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Traction Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. And you can find more information and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at boast.ai. That's B-O-A-S-T dot AI forward slash blog. 